James Mill came up with this book, History of British India in 1817. It was published in three volumes um, after 12 years of quote-unquote painstaking research. And uh, if these slides are already disgusting you, uh, it would be very difficult for you to wade through seven chapters that he has actually written on the Hindus. And when I assess that book objectively, I consider it nothing short of hate literature. Now, if it was a work of the past, and if it did not serve any relevance today, you know, maybe we would have allowed the book to lie at rest. But the biggest problem that we are facing today is that the narrative continues, the contents of the book get reflected in narratives on Hindus all across the board. But before I get into uh, you know, the history of British India, I just want to give you a brief picture of uh, who James Mill actually was. James Mill was born in 1773 uh, in Scotland. His uh, father was a shoemaker and the mother was the daughter of a farmer. Um, she had an aristocratic background, but interestingly, uh, there was an uprising in which her family had uh, participated in 1745. It's basically called Stuart Uprising. And in the process, the, uh, the family actually lost uh, aristocracy and uh, the wealth that they had. James Mill's mother was familiar with this background and she basically wanted to regain what her family had lost. So she was very clear right from the very beginning that she did not want to push James Mill in the business of the family which was shoemaking business and uh, <clears throat> shoe selling business. She wanted him to become a gentleman, meaning an aristocrat. You know, that was that was the aspiration that she had for James Mill. So there was a lot of emphasis which was placed on James Mill education uh, right from the very beginning. And interestingly, James Mill was a precocious child. He was very good in studies. And he got identified by the local aristocrats, uh, you know, who lived in the vicinity, in the vicinity uh, <clears throat> who wanted James Mill to be educated in a certain way. In fact, uh, the lady aristocrat, you know, wanted him to join a uh, ministry. And that is what she thought she would prepare James Mill for. So James Mill, at the expense of uh, uh, these aristocrats was basically sent to University of Edinburgh, uh, where he did his master's in divinity. Unfortunately, what happened was that he was not able to find uh, any job with the local church. He tried for some time. He tried teaching the children of the aristocrats, and that's how he was making his living, until he decided to come to London in 1802. For the next four years, he spent his time as a journalist writing for 
different journals and newspapers uh, <clears throat> making a living. Somehow in 1806, he tumbled upon the idea of writing history of British India. And initially he thought that he would write the book for three, four years, get done with it and basically continue uh, with his career. But this book, incidentally, took 12 years. Now, when this book came out, you know, um, in early 1818, it was a roaring success. It, it you know, it brought uh, a lot of uh, fame to James Mill, which endeared him to the board of directors of East India Company. And in May 1819, James Mill was hired uh, as an officer in East India Company who would be, uh, you know, situated at India House, which was the headquarters of East India Company in London. Now, by the time it was 1823, James Mill rose to the rank of Assistant Examiner of India Correspondence, which was the number two position in the hierarchy of the highest home position in East India Company. So he rose up the ranks very, very quickly. And he was able to exert a substantive influence on India through East India Company. And when we look at the records which uh, have been left by his contemporaries, uh, one of them being uh, you know, his own son, John Stuart Mill, the famous John Stuart Mill, who uh, you know, was considered the philosopher as far as uh, the liberal values and liberal uh, philosophies uh, or rather liberal philosophy is concerned. In that, James Mill exerted a massive influence on the policies and uh, policies of India and the history of British India basically became the primary book for making structural changes in governance and rule of India. We'll revisit this topic later, you know. But I also want to make it clear that this book, or rather, you know, these three volumes, History of British India, uh, became the required reading for English civil servants who were going to serve East, East India Company, uh, <clears throat> you know, who were getting trained at. Hellebury College, a college which has which 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 had which had been uh, established by East India Company in England. Now, Ronald Inden in Imagining India calls this text, History of British India, as a hegemonic text. And why does he call? a hegemonic text, because as I told you earlier, 
there are seven chapters on Hindus uh, in this particular text. And as uh, Kalyanji pointed out, there are different ways in which Hindus are described as rude, savage, barbaric, uncouth, and so on and so forth. You know, you, you saw the uh, various synonyms of the word savage. Now, one of the primary modes in which the description was, hap was, was, was made was that Hindus are hierarchical and oppressive. And Hindus have been hierarchical and oppressive right from the very beginning. So in the first chapter itself, you know, uh, uh, James Mill makes this point that because Hindus are savage, they don't have any sense of history. In the second chapter, this is the core of the contention. Hindus are, are savage because they have an hierarchical and oppressive social system. In the third chapter, he basically describes the forms of governance of the Hindus as hierarchical and oppressive. Again, within the context of barbarism and savagery. In the next chapter, he takes up the issue of taxation. Once again, you know, the system of tax taxation is hierarchical and oppressive, which basically uh, uh, helps, you know, a few people within the society. What he's basically saying is that this was a society where few were ruling over the many in a very, very despotic manner. In the subsequent chapter, he talks about the laws of the Hindus. And here he basically goes into uh, Manu's Dharma Shastra. And twisting and uh, you know, turning the, the contentions of uh, uh, Manu Dharma Shastra, he makes this point that the laws of Hindus right from the very beginning have been hierarchical and oppressive. In the last two chapters, you know, he's basically talking about the manners uh, of the Hindus. Uh, you know, he also makes certain comments about Hinduism as a religion, and there also it's the same story. He gives significant space, you know, to describing Hindus as women oppressors. So in a certain sense, you know, I'm giving you a synopsis of the, the, the description. Now, I explained to you that because of the position that James Mill acquired, you know, by becoming an important official in East India Company, through the research and, subjects and subsequent publication that he had done, he was able to induce 
organizational and structural changes in India, which deformed the Indian social system in a very, very big way. You know, I'm because of lack of time, I'm not going to uh, go into uh, those details today. You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm mainly going to talk about his influence on the discourse which actually exists and how this discourse has been transferred to what we find in contemporary times. Now, there are a couple of things that happened, you know. His research was picked up by Hegel. And as many of you would know, Hegel influenced Marx. So the writings and contentions of James Mill traveled through Hegel to Marx. Marx was also in London uh, after the death of James Mill, which happened in 1836, for about 20 years. And when you look at uh, an article which he wrote for one of the, the newspapers in New York, you see clear evidence of James Mill on that piece because he is de describing Indian society run by Oriental despotism. He again replicates this narrative that the Hindu society is predominantly and primarily hierarchical and oppressive. So you see the transmission, you know, of his thoughts to Marx. And I, I should not, uh, you know, uh, emphasize this in that the left thought that you find in academia at this point in time has basically been formulated by Marx. So if you, if you want to understand left thought in contemporary times, you have to go to Marx, you know, that is the transmission. So this entire left, left narrative, which is operational in academia at this point in time, you know, basically regurgitates what James Mill wrote 200 years ago. And that is the reason when you look at the textbooks for children in the United States, you will see that the entire narrative on Hinduism revolves around this particular equation. Hinduism equals caste system, equals hierarchy, equals oppression. That is precisely what is occurring. Now, there was, there was another channel, you know, which actually got opened up in Britain. 
James Mill's literary career did not end with history of British India. Between 1821 and 1824, he published some articles, uh, you know, for supplement to Encyclopedia Britannica. And in these pieces, he was basically arguing for representative governance, liberty of press, freedom of expression, universal suffrage, which were non-existent in England of that particular time. You know, England was ruled by what you would consider as political right. India, uh, Britain was ruled by uh, monarchy with the support of clergy and aristocracy. So all these wonderful ideas which have become part of democracy today were literally non-existent in Britain. And James Mill was basically arguing for these. Now in 1825, James Mill and the group with which he was working decided to put together University of London. Now through University of London, you know, which incidentally was established in opposition to Oxford University and Cambridge University also incorporated the thoughts of James Mill, which included his thoughts articulated in history of British India. So you see how you know the the ideas are actually developing and how ideas are basically finding traction. Later, Oxford University Press and Cambridge University Press came with their own editions of history of British India. And when you compare you know, these books with what uh, James Mill produced, you will see that the plan that James Mill had put in place is actually getting replicated in these publications. 1850s onwards, institutions and universities began to get established in India. And history of British India and other publications from Oxford University Press and Cambridge University Press began to find traction in the curriculum which was meant for Indians. And that is how the narrative which James Mill had put in place began to actually get internalized, replicated, and reproduced. 
In fact, Kalyan Vishwanathan has done uh, some research, you know, and uh, he uh, he analyzed Jawaharlal Nehru's history of, uh, sorry, discovery of India. And there are many passages in discovery of India, which are exact replications of what you find in history of British India. So I want to emphasize this point that whatever was put in place by James Mill continues in post-colonial India because, his, because discovery of India remained a very, very important text. And after 1970s, the left historians or the Marxist historians they took over the Indian intellectual scene. And all these forces, you know, basically began to combine. And that is why, both in India as well as in the United States, what you find in contemporary times is replication of the same discourse which had been put together by James Mill long time ago. Of course, you know, this narrative has been sanitized. It has been made politically correct. You know, no scholar uh, will basically call Hindus savage, regressive, uncouth, rude, barbaric, and so on and so forth. But all the characteristics that were used to define Hindus as savages and, bar and, 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 and barbarians, they remain in place. They are being replicated. And that is why, you know, children growing up in this country get badly affected by the discourse which gets introduced to them from sixth grade onwards. And what does this narrative do to them? It produces inferiority complex, it produces shame, and it produces guilt. And many of them struggle with these things for their entire lifetimes. And that is why it becomes extremely important that we critically examine this text. We critically examine, you know, what James Mill wrote on Hindus and India 200 years ago and enumerate the various ways in which the replication of this discourse continues in contemporary times. In fact, you know, after having researched this field for close to two decades now, I can safely say that whenever you will find a Hindu dveshik content in academia or media, you will be able to find its connection 
with the writings of James Moore. It's a tall claim to make, you know, and I'm making this claim publicly. But it's true. It's true. It can be, it can be validated. And that is why Hindus at this point in time need to read those seven chapters that have been written by James Mill. And what we call in academic parlance, start deconstructing the Hindu Dveshik discourse in the light of narrative put forth by James Mill. You know, at Hindu University of America, we have created a program titled Post-Colonial Hindu Studies, which specifically does this. I will stop here, you know, maybe Ankur uh, later can give more details of the program. But what I'm saying is that in order to get beyond this problem that we are facing, we will have to engage in systematic study of what was written about us in the past. And, and you know, and there's, there's one last point that I, I, I want to uh, emphasize and point out. This narrative has been appropriated by liberal left. So when we criticize or critique this narrative, it is extremely important that we do not categorize ourselves or define ourselves as right. Because as Kalyan pointed out earlier, both the left as well as the right have been complicit in perpetuating the Hindu Dveshik content, which is there in academia as well as media. And with that, I stop.